We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021 Fantasy Football Rankings Update. You can find the rankings in the description as they have been updated. The top 150 overall for half point PPR scoring. If you missed the quarterbacks, tiered breakdown show with Chris Meany. Shame on you, but that came out yesterday. You can go check that out. Plus, we talked about rookies with Ray Garvin earlier on this week as well. Stuff you can just go and catch up on. Plus, a little bit later on, we're going to have Pete Overzet on the show. Something to his YouTube channel, by the way, to discuss the players that no one else wants to discuss. The no-buzz players in fantasy football drafts. And it's not like it's a bunch of players that no one wants. People are drafting them at pretty reasonable ADPs, but there's just no buzz around them. It's not like you gotta go up and get David Montgomery. You just wait. If he's there, eh, maybe you take him, maybe you don't. Who cares? It's just a bunch of meh players, and we'll see if any of them actually have any value, at least where they're going right now in fantasy football drafts. Remember to smash the like button for the video, and you give me your favorite player that no one's really talking about. A player who's, like, solid that you know is gonna contribute but people don't figure has any upside or they just don't want in drafts right now. They want the sexy young rookie, not the eh type player. So I'm curious to see what you guys have to say about that type of player. I think my favorite one right now is Raheem Mostart. I'll break that down with Pete in a little bit. But it's just there's no buzz around him. Everyone wants Trey Sermon. Raheem Mostert's still the guy there. He's wearing a leg brace right now. He's going to be fine. He says he's going to have it off by week one. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. If you have been missing out on fantasy football picks and bets on the Mayo Media Network, you got yourself some cash on Thursday night for the Hall of Fame game. I had Cody Main from Establish the Run On, one of the preeminent preseason DraftKings and evaluators there is out there. And there are very few people who are actually good at capping the preseason. And the DraftKings picks he gave us, if you went with Pittsburgh's D in the captain spot, which I did, you doubled your money, even in GPP. So you were good to go. But it was the prize picks that he really had hammered down, double unders on both Cooper Rush and 
I was going to say Jarvis Landry, but Landry Jones uh, paid off pretty handsomely. So double under, there wasn't even a sweat on it, and it paid three times your money. So I would recommend that you all go check that out right now for the Fantasy Football Picks and Bets show. Jeff Radcliffe was on earlier on in the week, breaking down some of the latest news as well and how a lot of the injuries are impacting situations going on across the NFL at the moment. But if you go to prizepicks.com and use code MMN, when you deposit, you'll get a deposit match of up to $100. So I highly suggest you do that. If you did that yesterday, watch the show, you'd have like 500 bucks in your account at this point. So we're going to try to have Cody back on for next Thursday's games. Plus there's an entire slate to go through. So if you're looking for preseason content, be it for props, prize picks, or DraftKings breakdowns of who the top plays and biggest voids are for the year. That's going to be on the Fantasy Football Picks and Bets feed. Video version, obviously, up on Mayo Media Network. Subscribe to that right now. And the podcast uh, is its own separate feed. But I got some, uh, I'll try to entice you to go over there. If you know the deposit match at prize picks wasn't good enough, we do have, and the exclusive content with the actual DraftKings picks and the breakdown of the preseason slate, if that wasn't enough, if you hit the description right now, there is a link to the Apple Podcast feed for Fantasy Football Picks and Bets. If you subscribe, leave a five-star review, something you enjoy about the show. You can make that up. Twitter handle or email address in that review. You're in a giveaway for cash money. The prize pool is up to $1,000 right now. We need a few more to bump the prize pool up to $1,500 so you can get your share of that prize pool just by leaving the review and subscribing to the audio feed. Pretty simple stuff. And I do want to announce that we have a new host over at Fantasy Football Picks and Bets. They will be making their debut very, very soon, but I did the giveaway, or I did the, sorry, the contest about getting a job at Mayo Media Network. I received over 550 submissions, so it took us a while to sift through the best ones, watch them all. We wanted to make sure that everyone got their due diligence in case there was a diamond in the rough out there, and we think that we found one. Uh, she has been pretty prominent in the fantasy space. She put in her submission, and Stepmom Lauren, Lauren Carpenter, follow her on Twitter, at Stepmom Lauren, is going to be one of the full-time contributors to Mayo Media Network during NFL season. She'll be starting very soon over on Fantasy Football Picks and Bets. May even have to have her on the Pat Mayo experience to introduce the world to her, at least my audience, but she's done work with uh, what was Roto World. I think it's NBC Edge now, the football guys, fantasy footballers. She is sharp, and she's fucking hilarious. Uh, she fits the vibe perfectly of what we're looking for on Mayo Media Network. So please go welcome Lauren into the Mayo Media Network family. Send the positive vibes her way because you're going to enjoy the shit out of her content. I absolutely guarantee that. Now, if you didn't win the contest, there was one winner of, like I said, of all, over 550 entries. I do have a few other of you earmarked right now. I think I might actually hand out two jobs. So just because you didn't win right now, and if you're one of the people, like, there's a legit 300 awful submissions. Rick Gaiman even asked me if I would release the worst ones, and that was the plan to basically make a William Hung demo reel of the entire thing. But I think it's just too mean. I mean, uh, it's very clear that a lot of you put in some hard work on this. And if you're still watching, like, look... It's hard to sit in front of a camera and speak eloquently. Look at me. I've been doing this for 10 years, and I can still barely do it. So I understand the difficulties it goes through. But there were, like, 20 of you that were really good. So I think I might choose someone else to be a part of that as well. So keep an eye on your email in the coming days uh, once I work out a schedule for the actual in-season content. Fantasy Football Picks and Bets is going to be every single day on Mayo Media Network and on the podcast feed along with my show. 
So I, we need contributors to that. And some of you were fucking hilarious. And listen, mo- more hilarious you can be in a very non-forced way. That's the vibe I'm looking for. Loose, funny, but with good analysis at the same time. So keep an eye out on that. Congratulations to Lauren. Happy to have you on the team. Plus, I have a few other hires that I've made for that show that I'll be releasing in the coming days as well. But let's talk about the news that sifted out of the Hall of Fame game. And I want to get through this very quickly so we can get the pizza. I think we need a bit of uh, pump-up music. I think we need to turn up the volume. How about uh, some techno music to get us all fired up? for the NFL news and the rankings adjustment, which again, you can check out in the description because I updated them this morning when I woke up. Let's hit the music. All right, there we go. Get fired up. Here's the news. Hall of Fame game was last night. Nothing really much to take away from it. Here were the key fantasy observations, I think, moving forward. Despite the fact that we hit that 3x prize picks. Thanks again, Cody. We're going to have to, like I said, have you on back next week so I can keep increasing my bankroll over at prize picks. Uh, That was great, though. But Najee Harris looked really good for his three carries at the beginning of the game. They ended up giving him way more work than I would have assumed. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But he was involved in the receiving game. Uh, They were utilizing him. And I have him currently now up to number 11 in my overall top 150 rankings. Uh, He is on that head of tier two, just one spot ahead of Austin Eckler in my running back rankings in half point PPR right now. I think if you're trying to mine 300 touches, you could be looking at a very less efficient, less touchdown Derrick Henry who actually contributes in the receiving game. I know it's year one. We don't know that much about what's going on. But it does seem like this is his job, and he's going to take it. He was putting up those stats with Mason Rudolph. No juju on the field. Uh, It was nice to see Deontay Johnson get himself involved right away. I have a full wide receiver tiers breakdown show. It's already recorded. I did it with Mike Leone. So the new rankings actually actually reflect those rankings. I'll be releasing the full list of wide receiver rankings when that show comes out on Tuesday. But for the moment, you can just look at the 150 and see what the updates are. Uh, I like Deontay Johnson a lot. Leone did not. I think he's going to be solid. Chase Claypool is going to be okay. Apparently, he just fell on the ball in a really wonky way, so take a big, deep breath. Chase Claypool is going to be all right for the season. I think I have Deontay Johnson well above Claypool and Juju. I have Claypool above Juju. I do think that Claypool is the biggest breakout potential of this bunch, but the floor for Deontay Johnson, even in half-point PPR, he's going to be the target monster in this offense, but it is Najee that I want. We could see, like I said, 300, 350 touches from him out of this backfield. Even behind a bad offensive line, it's going to be okay. Volume is king when it comes to fantasy football. Just keep yourself healthy and we'll be good to go. If you're looking for a backup, we did get a bit of information on that. Not too much. Anthony McFarlane played over Kalen Balazs. Kalen Balazs did score the touchdown in that game, but he also had to exit with a lower body injury because apparently he plays hockey now, and that's just a hockey injury. Lower body! I'm not saying what it is, it's just below the waist. So he was already behind Anthony McFarlane on the depth chart based on what we learned last night, but Benny Snell did not play in that game, so I guess it now comes down to Snell and McFarlane of who is the backup to Najee Harris. Frankly, you probably don't want any of them because it's probably going to be a committee if Harris goes out, but it seems like Najee is locked into his top end role in this Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Nothing really telling from the Dallas side of the ball. They're probably not going to use that half punter guy as their kicker. We kind of knew that. Legatron is going to be their guy. The other biggest, the most notable thing really out of the Hall of Fame game was Jay Glazer at halftime, just dropping bombs. Jay Glazer is so good at what he does. And I think that he is an example for people who 
want to do premium content out there. Like the Pat Mayo, I wouldn't put, call myself the Adam Schefter of the fantasy game, but I would in terms of content produce. Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter, these guys are on top of everything. They're constantly posting updates and it's right some of the time, it's wrong some of the time. They're just passing on what they heard. That's sort of like me. I'm just here. I'm here talking. I'm trying to break it down the best that I can with the information that I have, but I'm going to be wrong a lot of the time. Jay Glazer comes in like once every two weeks with like two or three scoops and he's always fucking right it's incredible and he has these scoops that those other guys do not have so it's really impressive so you're in the premium content game pat mayo is an attrition player i'm here for the volume i'm the Najee harris i'm probably not no, actually i'm probably more like uh, david montgomery at this point like the lower end of the volume guys but i'm pumping out shows every single day trying to talk about whatever if you're in the premium content game you know be few and far between but do it really well when you do it just like jay glazer so here's what we got we got deshaun watson texans are no longer returning calls for him despite the fact that he was apparently traded to philadelphia earlier this week. Apparently that's not happening because here's the thing. It's not that they might not be actively returning people's calls, but it's the Texans organization. They probably forgot to pay their phone bill and you know that they're on like a rotary phone, not cell phone. So it's just tough out there to actually talk to the other GMs when your phone line has been disconnected. So... We'll keep monitoring that. Deshaun Watson is not practicing at the moment. Carson Wentz is apparently closer to the front end of his 5 to 12 weeks than the back end. I still don't really care. I'm still just kind of down on this Colts offense. Maybe Wentz will make a miraculous recovery, but you'd have to think that even if he is ready for week one, which I think is exceptionally doubtful, that it is going to take him a little bit of time. He's on a new team, although he is familiar with the system. He's dealing with a foot injury. He'll be less mobile, which it's not that he's a running quarterback, but his mobility is a big part of his game. Shirk it. He used to look like the naked deaf guy from Family Guy. He just can't catch him. He's like covered in oil the entire time. During his MVP run, which they're hoping he can get to with the Eagles back in 2018 before he got injured, like he was just shaking people off like Big Ben style from 10 years ago. He was just so hard to bring down, buying that extra time. That's so much part of his game that with a foot injury, I just think that's going to be really difficult to do. Plus, the strength and conditioning is going to go down. You're not going to be able to have that solid core, solid leg strength, and even the push-off is going to take a little bit of a while to come back. So maybe later on in the season, these Colts guys are going to be fine. I am worried about both Wentz and the passing game and that entire offense, at least for the month of September. We'll see how quickly he comes back. Aaron Rodgers, apparently, and the Green Bay Packers have agreed to trade him at the end of the year if he wants it. So this goes one of two ways. Aaron Rodgers goes out and, I mean, he is the reigning MVP and absolutely lights it up, which I think that he'll do. Or it's Aaron Rodgers, so he might, like, try to tank his value so the team he gets traded to doesn't have to give up all their assets and he has a good team to go to. Like, he's a Machiavellian, in a way. So, Aaron Rodgers, keep an eye out on him. I'm not worried. I'm just kidding about that. But that is good information to know. Here's the big one, though. Dak Prescott apparently has more of a baseball injury in his shoulder rather than a football injury. And this is actually something I can speak to personally, weirdly enough. Obviously, Dak, bit of a better athlete than Pat Mayo. But during high school, I was on the football team and the baseball team. And I was a catcher and a quarterback. And I sustained a shoulder injury in baseball that essentially ended my, I don't know what they call it in the States. It was my grade 11 year. So what is that? Sophomore, sophomore year, junior year. So it basically wiped out the end of that. I couldn't throw a ball anymore. I actually, instead of coming over the top and being able to snap through, I eventually just tried to throw with like my upper pec. Uh, and then it, they were just like, Pat, you can't throw anymore. So you can't catch or do anything. And you're not good enough of a hitter to be an all-time DH. So that's not going to work. However, it didn't really affect my throwing motion in football. Because when you're coming over the top and snapping, you're still snapping when you're coming through. But it's just a different arm motion. So hopefully that's good news for Dak Press. 
Prescott. Apparently, they've consulted with the Texas Rangers medical staff to see what's happening. So maybe my like Bush League analysis on this is way off. That's just the first thing that popped into my mind. I thought I would share it with you. I mean, how can that hurt? He's still apparently a go for week one. They're just being cautious with him. But red flags should be raised right now. As you'll see, I did finally, I succumbed to the CD Lamb pressure from Leone, and I did move him up in my ranks to be the number one Dallas receiver. But I have Amari Cooper very close, who's still dealing with an injury himself. However, you got to be worried a little bit here. I do have Dak at number five in my quarterback rankings. I'm going to keep him there until I hear this is a more serious situation. But the more in the dark that we are, the worse it kind of becomes. So I'm still, if you're doing drafts this weekend, draft Dak normally. But if we get some bad information a week from now, then, you know, you might have to bump him down just a little bit. Uh, injury news. We got Kenny G. That's Kenny Galladay. Ray and I talked about him a little bit on the show. He's going to be out two to three weeks with this hamstring injury. Uh, I'm just not going to take him now. I bumped him down severely into the 40s in my wide receiver rankings. You can go check out the rankings, again, in the description right now. Smash the like and sub to the channel while you're here at the same time. But... I just know how this goes. Two to three weeks, he's going to rush back to try to play to week one. He's going to be no practice. He has a soft tissue injury, and then he's going to go run. He's going to look good for like two drives, and then he's going to tweak something. Then he's going to have to leave halfway through week one. Then he's going to miss another fucking four to six weeks. I just don't want that headache. Maybe I'm wrong. That is just not a situation with soft tissue injuries I want to get myself into. He's still going the highest of all the Giants receivers, even after this news in high stakes drafts over the past three days. I would just rather take Darius Slayton. I'd rather take Sterling. Shepherd. Just give me those guys who are going essentially undrafted. If they're no good, they're no fucking good. I can cut them. That's not a big deal. You still have to spend some draft capital on Kenny Galladay, which is a situation that I just don't want to be in. So I don't want to go there. So I won't. Not going to be drafting Kenny Galladay unless he's just miraculously back next week and everything is fine, which, you know, at two to three weeks doesn't really seem to be the case. Some other news, Justin Jackson is getting the majority of the reps uh, above all the other running backs, Joshua Kelly, that other round tree. Austin Eckler's still the guy, but if we're looking for who the backup is, it does appear to be leaning Justin Jackson at the moment. You can probably expect him to get some goal line work when they take Eckler, presumably, out of the game once they get inside the five-yard line. So keep an eye on that in that situation moving forward. Cliff Kingsbury views Rondell Moore. Uh, Moore inside with Andy Isabella on the outside. So that's good news for Rondell Moore and Andy Isabella's prospects of making this team. Christian Kirk returned to practice, so they might run two slots. Kirk might move to the inside with Rondell Moore. This is just great news for Rondell Moore because there's no one really blocking his playing time right now unless Larry Fitzgerald comes back, although he's still leaning retirement at the moment. And A.J. Green just hasn't been at practice. He's an old man. Can't take his reps. Can't take his job. He's too old. He can't do it. But I think he's getting some veterans days off right now. Unless there's actually something wrong with him, there is no indication of that at the moment. Uh, so just keep an eye on what's going on with the Cardinals receiving situation. Because I like Rondell Moore a lot. I know all the buzz is about Elijah Moore, which Pete will talk about momentarily. But Jameson Crowder is still playing in front of him. Can he win out on talent and find his way onto the field? Absolutely. But it does seem like Rondell Moore might actually have a role starting in this Cardinals offense, which would lead me to believe that he is going to be a better fantasy asset, at least out of the gate in the battle of the Moors. I mean, DJ Moore is still winning that at the moment, but of the rookie Moors, I think that the playing time advantage is going to old Rondell at the moment. Miles Sanders is splitting carries with Boston Scott, not with Kenneth Gainwell, not with Carrion Johnson. And the way that the draft order is going on for those guys right now is Sanders... Gainwell, Boston Scott. Boston Scott's being drafted as the 96th running back coming off the board. Now, as a bench guy, I understand. Listen, if Miles Sanders goes out, it's not like we're going to see a 90% running back 
carry share for Boston Scott. That's just not going to happen. But he can have value in deeper leagues, even on in the outset if he is the... I mean, with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, presuming that's still what they're doing and not trading for Deshaun Watson, there's going to be plenty of running lanes available. That team is going to be very run-heavy. And there just might be a lot of touches to go around for Boston Scott. Even if we do see 15 to 20 a game from Miles Sanders, we still might get like 8 to 15 a game from Boston Scott, depending on the situation and the game script. So I don't think that is you know, worthless in terms of fantasy. I, I think that's a decent situation, depending on your like 10 teams. No, 12 teams, maybe 14 teams and deeper. That's a guy you can plug into your flex. who can get you eight to 12 points potentially with injury problems with bye week So continue looking at Boston Scott and see how that situation breaks down a little bit. I did mention Kenneth Gainwell. Carryon Johnson is on that team. Fun fact about Carryon Johnson. He just had a child with Ashley K, not Smashley, Ashley K from Real World San Diego. And the challenge, challenge fantasy starts Wednesday, August 10th. I put out the preview show already on Mayo Media Network. If you love the challenge, you want to play in the fantasy league, go check out that show. The link is in the description. It's a free contest to join. It's a lot of fun. And they have the preview show coming up on, it's funny, I'm pumped about football starting. I'm still pumped about golf going on, but like my wife and I sit down and we get geared fucking up for the challenge every single Wednesday. And the fantasy league just makes it better. And I just compete with her in it. So I, I reveal my picks on that show. I think that Josh is underpriced considering that crying scores you a lot of fantasy points. And so does fighting Josh. He's like the lock of the century for this season in fantasy challenge. You figure out the rest from there. Okay. Tyreek Hill back at practice. Seems like the knee tendonitis, not that big of a problem, so don't worry about him. Tyreek Hill currently number eight in my overall top 150. Number two at receiver, one spot behind Devontae Adams. The current top 10 in my 150 right now is McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Elliott, Kamara, Travis Kelsey, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, Calvin Ridley, Najee Harris, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, and Aaron Jones are the 11 through 15, in case you're too lazy to go click on the link in the description. Emmanuel Sanders left Bill's practice with a foot injury. That just is going to open up a bit more playing time for everyone's favorite Twitter personality, Cole Beasley, for him to get some more run. I don't know how serious this is. It doesn't seem like it's that serious, but it could develop into something, obviously. But I think this is the best news for Gabriel Davis, just more and more and more reps for him to potentially play on the opposite of Stefan Diggs going into year two. He's a player that people like, but people don't really know what his role is going to be. I think in a pass-happy offense that throws the third most over expectation of any team, at least they did last year, and I expect that to keep going, that there could be a bounty of targets waiting for Gabriel Davis someone who's going very late in drafts a lot especially after a lot of these rookies right now that they're just getting the buzz everyone wants to talk about rookies you know second year player Gabriel Davis coming off a very solid rookie year going into year two I just think that's a nice situation to be in uh, in an offense which should be pretty explosive through the passing game and there is no chance no chance that's what he's got of seeing primary coverage with Steph Diggs on the other side, okay? And finally, Jalen Rocket Richard is out with a foot injury for the Raiders. I just think this means more receiving reps, at least in practice, for Kenyon Drake to get him integrated more. Probably not going to go to Josh Jacobs. That's why he's being drafted where he's going right now. I'm like 24 at running back, I think it is right now. I like Kenyon Drake as a potential upside flyer, should any. I think he'll have standalone value at a very marginal level right now. But I also do think that if anything were to happen to Josh Jacobs, that we're in a situation where Kenyon Drake could be pretty goddamn good for the rest of the season as well. So that is the news update, the Hall of Fame game. Once again, tune into Fantasy Football Picks and Bets. But now is the time to talk about no buzz players with my guy, Pete Overzet. 
I was scoping around DealDash.com the other day because I've heard that people have saved some big time money there. And I tell you what, what I saw, I almost couldn't believe. They had auctions on a crazy wide variety of quality products and people were winning them at truly shocking prices. So here's the question. How much can you save at DealDash.com? Well, it's completely up to you. Some people save 80%, some people save 90%, some people save up to 99%. Really, the only way to find out how much you can save is to visit DealDash.com today and use promo code MAYO. That's DealDash.com, promo code M-A-Y-O, to see how much you can save. DealDash, where deals come true. You may know him from the Pete Overzet YouTube channel, which you should all go subscribe to at this moment, but it's time to bring in my friend, your friend, Pete Overzet, to talk about players that no one is talking about, because sometimes there's real value in these situations when everyone just collectively agrees that there's a player that no one really wants, and it's not even like a Josh Jacobs thing, where people are actively being, hey, you shouldn't draft Josh Jacobs, he's just way overvalued. These are just guys that no one kind of has an opinion on and they mainly filter through in the middle round so pete you've been doing a ton of best ball drafts and it seems like and you and i i, I went on your show and i was shocked at how like the receiver run from rounds three to eight <laughs> essentially yeah but there's a lot of players in like standard redraft leagues that fall in that bucket from rounds let's say four to nine that you know guys take them because you know one guy in your league is auto drafting and that's just where the presets have him at but there's a ton of players whether it be receiver running backs in that area that no one really wants and no one's really talking about. But if you can hit on two of those picks, this has always kind of been my thing. Like, you need to nail two of your first three-round picks. If those guys are good, your team's going to be probably pretty good for the year. But if you can find two legit players from rounds four to nine, you're probably going to win your fantasy league uh, with a, you know, a savvy waiver wire pickup or a handcuff that ends up coming through. That's sort of like the overall blueprint. We can talk about all these different strategies in how to win all we want, but that's usually the formula for how this works. You pick up on the guy that no one's talking about. It's like, oh, yeah, I can't believe he was a sixth round pick. He's like a late second round pick a year from now. So who are you seeing from that range that you're like, yeah, I, I can see him actually being good and just no one wants him. Yeah, I mean, and I completely agree with that too. Like you can go and look at boards of teams who won, say, high stakes season long contest, or go look at the teams that won your 12 team, you know, ESPN home league. And it's not that they crush every pick out of the park or that they get return small value on their pick. It's that they nabbed Justin Jefferson in the eighth round last year in that one huge win catapults and vaults their team into a championship contender. So yeah, that's what we're always looking at. And generally, I feel like the market is pretty efficient. The ADP is pretty efficient, especially on sites uh, like Underdog and FFPC. But in your home leagues and stuff like that, you might be able to sneak some of these guys through for cheap. And I feel like a lot of times the archetypes that we're looking for in this range are where there's uncertainty on these guys in, in the rookies. I mentioned Justin Jefferson. I feel like the rookies can be that um, kind of uncertain bet that could pay off in a massive way. I mean, two guys that are having great camps right now, I think are in that ninth to 10th round range, maybe even later in casual drafts is Rashad Bateman of the Ravens and Elijah Moore on the jets. And I think both of them from their prod, uh, uh, why can't I talk their prospect profile and all the buzz in camp sounds like they could be legit number ones on their team by the season end. 
I think by season end, you could be looking at that for Elijah Moore. My issue with Elijah Moore has been that Jamison Crowder just plays his position, and for whatever reason, they brought him back. And that, it's not necessarily red flags, but I think that just hurts the overall upside. I'm with you on Bateman, though, especially with Hollywood Brown already dealing with soft tissue injuries. And, I mean, Sammy Watkins is a Sammy Watkins. Maybe Sammy Watkins is one of these guys, because people have legit now just been like, no, I'm not doing the Sammy Watkins thing again. But there could be ample opportunity if Baltimore opens up this passing game a little bit. But Bateman seems like the guy who's going to take that huge leap. I just worry about overdrafting rookies because I'm all in on Jamar Chase. That do I want to have my like receiver two, four, and five all be rookies? That might not be the best way to approach things. Yeah. And I always think about it too. And I think about this with running backs of getting different types of players. So if you are grabbing your Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase early, you're taking big cuts and you're using premium picks, top five, six round picks on them. Then maybe you want to backfill with a guy like Jarvis Landry. He's not the sexiest guy. We talked about him on my randomizer show the other night, but he could realistically be the number one in that offense. And I think you want to pair those really high risk, high reward guys with some higher floor guys like Jarvis. Landry. So I agree with you. You don't want to draft all rookies. You kind of want to balance it out with some different textures there. Let's talk about Jarvis Landry a little bit, because I think he is the type of player that when I reached out to you about doing this show that I wanted to talk about, essentially, because there's nothing fun to say about Jarvis Landry. He's (laughs) been around forever. He's on an offense, which we know has a lot of options. We know is going to be incredibly run heavy and, you know, that's just the way that they're going to play. I I don't expect the Browns to be scoring 40 points a game. It seems like they're going to try to win a lot of their game. I mean, they could score 28 points a game, which would be fantastic. And you're the top of the league, but their scoring comes from so many different avenues. But like you said, there is a legitimate case to say, listen, we've made the case that Odell is a wide receiver one for the past four years. And this just hasn't been the case. So if someone else is there and it's Jarvis Landry, who runs a lot a good short and intermediate routes for Baker Mayfield and is not going to see that number one pressure that fantasy wise he might actually be the number one but like no one goes into their draft being like you know who I need to have Jarvis Landry and it's crushing his ADP yeah no it is and they're also I think they're a great candidate to be a, a really bounce back a more you know prolific offense uh, our buddy Michael Leone talks about how they essentially had three really poor uh, weather games last year, you know, the 30, 40 mile per hour wind gusts. I mean, that really muted their overall production. So I think when people look at the counting stats this year, they're like, ah, they didn't put up big numbers. But when you combine Odell's health being much better, at least that's what they're reporting at camp. We have a pretty targeted or condensed offense here. I mean, Austin Hooper at tight end is not going to command a ton of targets. It sounds like Donovan Peoples-Jones is now going to pass Higgins as the wide receiver three here. He's having an awesome camp, but this offense is going to go through the running backs. It's going to go through Landry and it's going to go through Beckham. And I think if this offense picks up a little bit and they're a little bit more pass happy than they were last year, I think all of those guys could crush because the piece of the pie here is going to be so big. And it's not going to cost you anything because Landry right now, because of this lack of buzz, I'm looking at the past week of high stakes NFC drafts right now. His highest, the highest Jarvis Landry has been picked is 88th overall with the lowest being 123. So he's going on average around pick 107. So like a late ninth round pick for a guy that you could probably play as your wide receiver three and not really worry about it. But now you're into bench receivers. You're into guys that you might spot start in a flex spot if that happens. Like the other receivers going around him right now are Jalen Waddell, Hollywood Brown, Michael Pittman, Mecole Hardman, who I know the internet has a boner for. But you know what are the chances that Landry outscores Hardman this year? Like 78%? 
Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing with all of these things. The most likely outcome is that Landry outscores a lot of those guys going around him in drafts. The rookies I just mentioned, you mentioned Hardman, Marquise Brown goes in that range. It is probably likely the, the bet though you're making is that one of those guys I mentioned will probably be a smash and be drafted in the third or fourth round next year. The question is, how do we identify those guys? And it goes back to what we were just saying, where you want to balance your portfolio a bit with those types of players. Another receiver who falls into that bucket, and I'm curious to see where you've been seeing him going, but I like Brandon Cooks a lot. I know the health concerns and one bad hit, that's going to be the end of him, and it's an offense that is undesirable. No one wants to be a part of it. But we're... Whenever we're trying to project out, you know, solid fantasy players, and we just do this at running back so often, it's like, like I've started to come around on Najee Harris a lot this year because I just think he's going to play more than 70% of the snaps. Like, volume is king when it comes to this stuff. And I know with if it's Tyrod who's going to be starting, they're going to be, you know, he's going to run a lot more, but it's not like Brendan Cooks isn't going to see oh, upwards of his floor for a market share on the Texans, a team that's going to be bad and probably has to throw a lot. It's probably like 23%, but unless Nico Collins really jumps off the page, Anthony Miller gets integrated right away. They start using the tight ends or they're not dumping off to the running backs. Like around a 30% target share for Brandon Cooks in games that he's healthy isn't inconceivable. And he's going at pick 91 as low as 108. Again, He's probably not going to be drafted in the third round next year, but he can massively because the same thing will happen with him next year. It's like, oh, they'll add someone else. He's a year older. If he misses a game uh, towards the end of the year, it's like, oh, he's injury prone. But for the games that he plays, like it wouldn't be surprising to me to see Brennan Cooks as like a fringe top 20 guy in games that he's active. Yeah. And I think he, and he's actually perfect for this conversation because he is going right around all those guys that we mentioned. When I'm in my drafts, I'm often staring at a Landry, a Cooks, or one of the rookies or Michael Hardman. So this is definitely the range we're talking about. I, I sprinkle in Brandon Cooks. We know he's good. He's been good in all kinds of different situations. This will be the worst quarterback situation he's ever had, bar none, unless something miraculous happens with Deshaun Watson and he's, you know, starting week one for the Texans. But that doesn't seem likely. I think the risks are just kind of the team imploding. You know, we like garbage time, but it's not something we always want to hang our hat on. He also has been known to get banged up. And if he's, if they're a bad team and he's a little banged up, they're not going to force the issue in the way he might, if he was on a Super Bowl contending team. So those are some of my concerns, but he is a guy I want exposure to because he could just be an absolute target monster. I think he still has some juice. You know, he can get you some yards after the catch, the big plays and his competition competition is just really, really weak. You know, they have, uh, who did they get? They just got, uh, the slot receiver, Anthony Miller from the bears in that trade. They have the rookie who's getting some buzz at camp Nico Collins. They have some journeymen like Chris Conley, but Brandon cooks is the guy there. And, uh, our friend, rich rebar did a study recently on sharp football, where he found that these number ones in offenses that are going after round five are historically undervalued. It kind of starts with the Kenny Galladay types, but we feel gross about it because they're bad teams, but they almost always outperform their ADP because they are the number one target. 
Yeah, you mentioned Bateman. He's going at pick number 138 right now, although his high end is a little bit higher. Like his range of where he's being drafted uh, is a bit more varied than some of the other guys. Kirk Cousins is another one where he goes like as high as 81, but as low as 203. It just really depends if someone really has a preference or there's a run on quarterbacks in certain specific leagues. And I'm looking at a sample of 23 drafts right now from the past three days. Uh, I, I like to narrow it down that way. The other one who just returned to camp and it's been really difficult to get a gauge on how this passing game is going to work but Devontae Parker was really good two years ago and there was just a lot going on in Miami last year with mid mid game quarterback changes Chan Gailey designed an offense for Ryan Fitzpatrick because it felt like he had no clue that Tua was ever going to play Tua was injured it wasn't a great spot and then Parker ended up getting banged up anyway but now he's back and he's going in like the 12th round I And I think this is where season-long, like, head-to-head leagues differ a little bit from best ball, and will differ a lot from best ball, because you mentioned someone like Elijah Moore, and Elijah Moore may be a great best ball pick, because from weeks 10 to weeks 18, he might be really, really good. Unfortunately, that's not really going to cut it, because you're not going to keep him on your bench all year in a head-to-head league. You're going to have to use that spot for injury replacements or bi-week replacements, where someone like Devontae Parker, you know, they bring in Will Fuller, they draft Jalen Waddle, but... He could be the number one in this offense. Yeah, and I think you make a good point about these rookies. When they do hit, they hit late in the year. We're looking for, you know, the supercharge at the very end of the season. And coincidentally, it was Elijah Moore's teammate at Ole Miss, uh, A.J. Brown, who did this his rookie year. You know, he was in a low-volume pass offense, but he was just so good that he was breaking off big plays by the end of the season. So that's why I want exposure to these guys. And also, I think it's unique in that I love the rookie Rondell Moore in Arizona as well. Another guy that's kind of going in this range, but we know he's never going to be the number one option in that offense. DeAndre Hopkins is the number one full stop. That's not going to change without an injury. However, Elijah Moore, I think can become the number one. And you mentioned earlier kind of the overlap with Crowder. The one thing I've been hearing from camp is that they've been, all three of them have been in three wide receiver sets, Crowder in the slot, and then Corey Davis and Elijah Moore outside. So if that is the case, maybe they don't cannibalize each other as much. And I do think it's possible that Elijah Moore is just the best football player out of those three. And by the end of the season could be kind of taking charge as the alpha there. Well, he doesn't need to sweat Denzel Mims anymore. It sounds like he <laughs> might, might get cut or be a role player. Good second-round pick by the Jets. Tim Andercus once referred to him last year as Michael Thomas 2.0. But Oh, my God. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think he means the Michael Thomas who doesn't play and gets injured. What do you do with those guys in drafts right now, like a Michael Thomas? Because, for one thing, like you're going to have to use a bench spot on them. They're going to be taking up space. But like, do you have any belief that Michael Thomas is going to be good when he comes back in this offense without Drew Brees? I, I don't. I always want to bet against these guys recovering from injuries. The timeframes are always optimistic. If any one variable goes wrong, it's delayed. They're often, uh, even when they do come back, you kind of want a week or two of an eye test, like prove it to me, Michael Thomas, you're good to go. And by the time you do that, I just think of the opportunity cost, even in managed leagues, I want to be churning my bench. Just like you said, if these rookies don't hit, you got to drop them. You got to be picking up the new flavor of the week. And so to just stare there at an uncertain payoff just seems like a bad bet to me. You know, if Christian McCaffrey's hurt, you know, when he comes back, they're going to give him the ball 20 
25 touches. With Michael Thomas, I don't think it's as certain that he just waltzes back into being a you know 12 to 13 target a game guy. And we have quarterback concerns on top of that. You know, we don't know who the QB is going to be there. So to me, he doesn't feel like a good stash unless I'm getting a really, really steep discount. Are there any running backs that you feel are just getting the the no buzz treatment right now? Because I was thinking about Raheem Mostert. And everyone mm. just wants to draft Trey Sermon. All the reports are, oh, my God, Trey Sermon is so good. Pair him up with Shanahan. <laughs> now he's being drafted over Raheem Mostert, who, I mean, he's wearing a knee brace in camp right now, but he's already said that's not going to be the case. He's just doing it for precautionary reasons to keep that knee healthy as they're practicing. But is anyone going to be surprised when he outtouches Sermon 2-1 to one this year? Yeah, I mean, that's another one of these things where I, I fully expect uh, the first snap of the 49er season to go to Raheem Moster. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't assume he is going to be their lead back. The team is on record saying they want to run the ball 500 plus times this season. If that is true, I think both of them can pay off their ADPs. We've seen it in years past with Tevin Coleman, with Wayne Gallman, uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. They are completely willing to use two running backs, but I agree with you that the market market being so sure that Trey Sermon is going to be the guy doesn't make sense to me. And we've also seen these rookies flop. I mean, the 49ers a few years ago traded up in the draft to get this guy named Joe Williams, and then he never did anything in the league. I'm not saying Trey Sermon is Joe Williams. I'm just saying that's in the range of outcomes for these rookies, whereas we know Raheem Mostert is really good, one of the fastest players in the in the league, can break off big plays at any time. Uh, I, I like Mostert a lot, and I'm, I'm sprinkling him in in uh, a lot of drafts. Yeah, and you can get him really late right now, and it seems like he's just falling and falling and falling because he just is a no buzz player like the type of guy that i wanted to talk about where sermon is the buzz player mustard colonel mustard on the other end of that <laughs> one is just not the guy whatsoever and those those depreciated assets eventually just start rounding out your roster and you look at your team in week one and be like okay and like especially if like mustard has like two good games to start the season and even if you are a trey sermon believer all of a sudden he becomes a really nice package piece in a trade too i feel like people don't over and maybe in your league uh trades just don't happen all that often but i feel like most like the two things that people enjoy the most in season-long fantasy football at least are the draft and making trades and trying to rip off their friends like would you say <laughs> that those are the two things that people enjoy yeah, uh, I'm with you. The draft is definitely ahead. I mean, trading in home leagues is absolutely brutal because no one wants to lose and no one wants to look stupid. Uh, Sean Siegel over at Rotoviz always says the when you do a trade, it should be beneficial for those two teams and awful for the other, you know, 10 teams in the league, which makes sense to me. But the way it works at home leagues, it's like, I want to get the better end of it. And I want to pull a fast one over on you. And I do think people enjoy uh, those dynamics. They do. And having a player like Mostert, if he starts off super hot, we know what his role is going to be. He's not a running back one. He's going to have a few running back one games, but he's going to get enough consistent volume and touches week to week that he's probably like a high end flex, something like that running back between 20 and 25, something like that on a weekly basis. And if he scores a touchdown or breaks a long one, then he's going to be better than that. But if he has two like smash games to open the season, all of a sudden that like the, the kind of slow guy in your league, he's like, oh my God, I need to trade for this guy right now. And then you can really upgrade your roster, you know, package one of your middling pieces with Mostert for a really high end piece that rounds out your team. Although I think that every league has at least two managers that everyone just is, they're just circling the wagons, waiting for those guys to really, they really really want to blow up their team or try to make a move. Uh, and everyone knows the two guys that you have to trade with if you want to get get one over on someone. Yeah, for sure. I, and I do think uh, 
it's, it's funny to get back in the mindset of even thinking about trading in leagues, but I do think it's a, it's a good strategy. Get the guys that get off to a fast start and then you, you know, flip them. You can flip them and buy low for the rookies who are going to charge at the end of the season. And how many times do we see this play out? I feel like every year, maybe not this year. Finally, Larry Fitzgerald looks awesome in the first three to four weeks and then is nowhere to be seen by the time November and December roll around. So I think you definitely want to think about your season in quarters, at least halves in knowing what type of players are going to give you production at certain points in the season. Yeah. And you can start to project out what the end of the season is going to look like around like week six, week seven, because this happened with David Montgomery last year. Every smart person I knew when Cohen went down, they looked at the end of the Bears schedule and they gave it a week or two to see what the workload was going to be like with Montgomery, whether he was going to be involved in the passing game, what his role was going to be. Then it was firmly established that he was going to be the guy in the Bears backfield. Not a good offense. Didn't really matter. Then everyone looked at that end of the year schedule. It's like, oh my God, his final seven weeks are essentially against the seven worst run defenses in the league. Like, you can go trade for him now. And I always talked about a strategy called like buy high. And I used to equate it to my friend who used to just smoke a bunch of joints, walk over to the convenience store and buy Dunkaroos. That's the only thing that you would eat. <laughs> so you just buy high. Like buying high is a terrible idea when you're like going grocery shopping. But you can do it in fantasy football in a way that makes it seem like you're getting ripped off and making the bad end of the trade. It's just you've done a bit more scouting than everyone else, and you're you're actually projecting forward, not trying to trade for what the asset is currently. Like, you need to be able to trade an asset that you think is going to be devalued in four weeks' time for one that, you know, you have to take a chance. It's not like you're – if you're not willing to lose a trade in fantasy football, then it's going to be incredibly difficult to really get a big win and improve your team at the same time. So being able to project that stuff out forward, especially after week five, week six, week seven, when you understand what defenses are actually bad. Because we have all these notions about which, which, like, the Steelers' offensive line is the big one. I kind of keep harping on this one, and so people are probably tired of my take on it. But it's like, Najee Harris is going to have so many problems running behind this Pittsburgh offensive line. Uh, It's so bad. It's one of the worst in football. It's like, well, they can't get get any worse. That's a positive. They can only get better from here on out. He's going to be on the field the entire time. But, like, how many... There are like three people that I trust for offensive line scouting. Other than that, people are looking at fucking DVOA. That's it. And I am not smart enough or have enough knowledge to properly assess how an offensive line is going to work. However, I do know after, you know, just playing behind offensive lines, you know, be it ages ago, but we used to have some (laughs) really good offensive linemen, but our offensive line wasn't always the best when they were out there. Our offensive line was always at the best when we had five guys that were regularly playing together. And if that's going to be the case with the Steelers, there's no reason that even though the talent upgrade hasn't been that substantial, obviously that would help, that just cohesion can go a long way into making your offensive line better. Yeah, for me, the thing with with Harris is I can just, I can see both narratives. Like I can see the massive upside case. He gets 300, you know, plus carries is their full bell cow back similar to what they did with Le'Veon. This offense is humming. He's catching passes. He's getting the goal line work. I can envision that. I also can see those risks like you are mentioning with the offensive line injuries. And it's not just that specific thing. It's like, okay, now what about big Ben? We're, I feel like we're all collectively holding our breath for the play that big Ben goes out. And then he just doesn't have it anymore 
anymore and just Peyton Manning-esque just is no longer uh, a viable NFL quarterback. And then the third thing as well is just the rookie uncertainty. Again, we've seen lots of these rookies come in, even guys like Trent Richardson as rookies who got all this volume and were serviceable, but they just weren't good. And so even though Najee, his profile looks good, there's no reason to assume he will be a bust. There still is uncertainty with these rookies. So there's just enough of all those kind of minor red flags that it's giving me a little pause on him, but I certainly see the upside case. Do you have any mid-round tight ends that you want to do, or are you of the belief you draft a tight end high or you wait to the end? No, I, I like I like taking stabs in the middle rounds. I mean, I would say there's this tier of guys that's the Noah Fant, Tyler Higby, Logan Thomas, Mike Gusecki, and now even a little bit Dallas Goddard now with uh with Ertz likely coming back. He's in that range. And I, I take stabs on those guys. I mean, it's hard to envision scenarios where they could be, you know, top three tight ends, but I think one or two of those guys could be a top five, six tight end on the season. And I like taking stabs there. Yeah, Goddard is now going at pick number 93, Fant 96, Logan Thomas 96, and there's like a little mini gap and gets to like Tunyon, Higby, Irv Smith, Mike Gesicki. Then there's another huge drop off in ADP when you get down to Evan Ingram, Trauman, uh, Jonu Smith, that type of guy. I think like Smith or Hunter Henry would actually be my stab in, I mean, they're mm. going to pick like 145 because there's no risk in it. If they're not good, they're not good. But Again, if we're trying to project out like almost like the Devontae Parker, Jarvis Landry thing, like Parker could be the number one on Miami. Jarvis Landry could be the number one receiving, at least in terms of targets, on the Browns. Smith or Hunter Henry could be the number one guy in terms of targets on the Patriots. I know a lot of the fantasy community is locked into Jacoby Myers right now. It wouldn't be inconceivable. It's probably inconceivable that Aguilar is the target guy, but he could be the one with the most fantasy points. But it just seems like those are very easy passes for for at least Cam to make on the outside and Mac Jones to make. And you know that they're probably going to be on the field most of the time, whether it's running routes or blocking, but just having a big bodied 12 offense seems like it's what the Patriots want to do right now in a run heavy approach, at least when Cam is playing. Yeah, uh, I, I like uh, a lot of those tight ends. And I, I think, I think the hard thing for this range is just so much of the production and tight end production is often tied to the quarterbacks. And so it's a little harder when we're kind of chasing the volume. I do like the thought on new England because I think there's huge kind of contingent upside. If the market doesn't want to take either John or Henry, because everyone just assumes they're going to be in a split, which I think is a fair assumption. But what if one of them is the main one and the other is spent, you know, blocking more, or what if one of them gets hurt? Now, all of a sudden you're looking at a guy who would otherwise be drafted in the seventh, eighth round who you got in the 15th. So I agree with you. I don't think there's much risk to taking the Patriots. They're another one of those non-sexy picks. We've mentioned Landry mentioned Mostert, and I think the tight ends in new England definitely qualify as well. I brought up his name a little bit earlier, but David Montgomery has literally no buzz this going into this season. No one believes that he will replicate what happened at the end of last year, myself included. I'm probably sure everyone's kind of on the same page. He is not a top five fantasy running back, but he's now going at 
pick. Or he's 17th at running back, but it's still like pick number 33 overall, at least in high stakes leagues, which put more of an emphasis on running backs than I've seen on like DraftKings best ball type stuff, where that range is more exclusively reserved for wide receivers. Like I would much rather have in any format, I would much rather have Allen Robinson than David Montgomery. But I can see him slipping by the time it comes around because it's not fun to draft David Montgomery when in Chris Carson, you can almost throw into the like there's that little range of three guys, David Montgomery, Chris Carson and Miles Sanders. Like, have you heard anyone specifically say like, oh, you got to have one of these guys this year? It just doesn't seem to exist. Yeah, there's been a, a movement. Uh, I might be partially responsible for, uh, you know, pushing people away from making these picks just because the opportunity cost in this range is so high with the wide receiver talent. Uh, this is right where you're getting your Odell Beckhams, your young uh, second year players like Brandon IU, Kenny Galladay's in this range. So you're having to pass up on a really high ceiling wide receiver when you select these guys. I think specifically for me with David Montgomery last year, when Tariq Cohn went down and he had that entire entire backfield to himself. He was an absolute smash. The stars did align with a soft schedule, but he took advantage of it. But to me, the big key there was Tariq Cohen, not siphoning off the passing work there and allowing him to be a bell cow. Now they bring in Damian Williams. Tariq Cohen is still on the pup list, but Damian Williams, we've seen it in Kansas city. He can play the full blown bell cow role. And so I think the question now is, is he going to get the Tariq Cohen role where he's catching passes and kind of being a pain in, uh, in uh, David Montgomery's side? Because I could also see them using this backfield not completely 50-50. The analogy I'm thinking of is like when the Falcons had Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, and they almost used them interchangeably. Montgomery's going to for sure be on the better side of this, but I think they will be okay having Damian Williams mix in for pass downs and just, you know, give Montgomery a break on a drive or two. So I'm a little concerned about his upside this year. I'm concerned about it as well, but I think we put a lot of stock into Damian Williams, a guy who sat out all of last year, is 29 years old, and was a walking concussion case before he got to Kansas City. And frankly, you're going to look good in the Kansas City offense when everyone is prepared to not stop. They want you to run the ball in that offense. So I don't know how good he actually is. It's kind of one of these weird things where everything that we remember about him from the past three years is all positive. But he was in a very good situation at the same time. Like, And this isn't me making a case to draft David Montgomery at where he's going. I think he's going too high. But I can see three weeks from now when people are actually doing their drafts, like people are going to be sitting in the draft and they're going to be staring at the board at the end of the third round and looking at David Montgomery and being like, nope. But then the same people are going to be looking at him in the fourth round and being like, nope. I can see him falling down. Not to the levels Josh Jacobs has, but... If he starts going in like the fifth round instead of the third round, and I would say the same thing with Carson and Miles Sanders. That, I mean, Sanders is probably a bit of a different case than these guys, but I think that David Montgomery and Chris Carson should be evaluated pretty closely because I think they have very similar roles in their offense and what they can bring. That if those guys start slipping, I don't think that they become horrible picks at the right spot. Yeah, and I I kind of like Carson more than Montgomery because Behind him in Seattle is Rashad Penny, who's been injured forever. He is an explosive, you know, kind of big body DeMarco Murray type 
running back where he can get the ball and hit the hole quickly, but he doesn't really profile as a pass catcher. And so that makes me feel really confident about Carson's role. And I mean, you can read every quote in the book about Pete Carroll gushing about Chris Carson. He absolutely loves him. And so the fact that I know he's also going to catch passes and that they want to be a little more up tempo there, the new offensive coordinator there, all the buzz is that they are going to finally let Russ cook a little bit. So if you give me Chris Carson in an up tempo offense where he's also the pass catcher, and goal line back, I'm starting to get pretty excited. So yeah, I, I prefer Carson to Montgomery and I've been grabbing him when he falls into the fifth as well. Yeah, so pick number 38 on average right now, that's about 10 to 15 spots behind Swift and Dobbins, that sort of sexy second year running back that we just project a lot of volume on. Like I, I'm on record, I would just rather have Gus Edwards for the price than having J.K. Dobbins because, well, Dobbins is just a better real life player and definitely has more upside when I look at their numbers at the end of the year, I could see them being very similar. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could too. And I think that's the thing about all of those running backs to me, um, basically from the back end of round two to early fifth round, all of these running backs seem like very similar bets to me. You know, we know they're not the Christian McCaffrey types. They're not going to just get 25 touches a game and catch a ton of passes in a solid offense. So there's always question marks, but I don't think, the probability that let's say Chris Carson is a top five running back. Is that different than Deandre Swift? And like you said, there's a huge gap there uh, in their ADPs. And I think that's something to exploit. And my whole main thing is I just don't want to load up on these guys. I want to pick my spots. And so when I get discounts on any of them, I'll, I'll grab them. But in general, the wide receivers in this range are going to outscore the running backs. They will, but I guess that depends on how you've structured your draft. And what, what is your ideal draft process right now? I, I assume it depends on what pick you get, but you're usually going, what, running back, tight end, running back, running back. Like, how does your draft process work right now? Yeah, I mean, when you have the 101, it's just so easy. I love the, the my my ideal start is you get the 101, you grab Christian McCaffrey, then you grab one of the elite wide receivers, Metcalf, AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson are normally the guys there. And then you can also grab Kittle or Waller, who are also there. So I just think you get this massive advantage at both quarterback and tight end, and you get an elite wide receiver, and you're just kind of set up to cruise the rest of the way. Uh I, I am uh, definitely more wide receiver heavy otherwise. And I do like the elite tight ends. I'll, I'll grab Kelsey. And I think now we have a really nice top three at wide receiver with Adams, Tyree Kill, and Stefan Diggs. So those are some of my preferred targets. I try to rein myself in, mix up my exposure as much as it pains me. I will grab a Derrick Henry, a Zeke Elliott in the first round because the upside case there is pretty obvious. But man, I love these wide receivers with the monster ceilings. I, I'm looking at the average ADP right Right now in in the NFC from recent drafts, picks one, two, three, four, five, six are all running backs. Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey have finally penetrated up into pick seven and eight. And then it's running back, it's Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, then Tyreek Hill, then Diggs, then Najee Harris. Antonio Gibson's all the way up to number 16 overall. That just seems way too high. Yeah, uh, I have a soft spot for Antonio Gibson. And uh, there were even quotes today. I think uh, Adam Levitan was posting a screenshot about how they are giving him way more receiving work right now. The, the narrative around what happened with him being 
uh, a college wide receiver playing a ton of wide receiver. We all just assumed, oh, he was going to be the passing back uh, for Washington this year. And then it was reversed. It was, he was the early down runner and JD McKissick was the pass catching back. They're now saying that because he was so new to actually running the football as a, as a college wide receiver, that they just wanted to get him reps as a running back and get him worked in. Now they're saying this year, they're ready to have him work out, split out wide, catch more passes, be more dynamic. If that is true. And if JD McKissick role kind of shrinks a little bit, he could easily be a top five back, but there is some hopium. There is some wanting from the fantasy community for this guy to be the next David Johnson. And it could go either way. All right. Pete Overzet, do you have any other player that you think has no buzz that is worth discussing today? No buzz. Who is an unsexy? So uh, we haven't talked about quarterbacks a lot. I feel like no one is excited about Tua uh, just because he had a rough year last year, but all the reports are he was dealing with a ton of injury stuff. He had the shortened, uh, you know, training camp because of COVID. He didn't play half the season uh, until he took over. So all of these things say to me, he's ready to make the leap this year reports out of camp, or he's looking great. They bring in Jalen Waddle. They bring in Will Fuller. Uh, I think he's going to be ready to go. And I think he's going to really surprise people this year. Oh, I like to a lot. I, it just feels like that entire Miami offense. No one really wants to talk about. I got into it with Ray last week about miles Gaskin that, mm. and he kind of pushed back and, and maybe he's right about it. That if this is just his job, he's an excellent value. For where he's going. I just don't believe that it's necessarily his job. I mean, your best friend, Patrick Laird, you know, he's going to see some snaps. You, you know, Salvin Ahmed's going to see some snaps. You don't bring in Malcolm Brown just to sit him on the bench. It just feels like they'll rotate. And that's at least what I'm, I'm clinging on to for not necessarily my disdain for Miles Gaskin, but why I don't want to draft him at where he's going. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think it's um, it's an uncertain situation. I will say Ahmed is, has been banged up a little bit. Uh and it's not as scary of a situation. I mean, Malcolm Brown's there. Uh, I can see cases where Gaskin just picks up where he left off, but I agree with you. There's a few of these backfields where the market is just very confident. I think we talked about this last show. The Falcons, people are very confident. It's Mike Davis. Uh, the Jets, people are very confident. It's the rookie Michael Carter. And people are pretty confident that it's Miles Gaskin. And I think there's more uncertainty in those three backfields than the ADP is reflecting. And I think you take advantage of it by either fading or scooping one of the other running backs there. Yeah. It's just the entire Dolphins. Like, we mentioned Devontae Parker, but if Fuller comes back uh, and he's healthy after his one-game suspension uh, to finish that out, then you know, he could be fine. He's the one who's going the highest. But it's just weird that Jalen Waddle, I know the ankle's an injury, or ankle's a problem, but it just seems strange that everyone has kind of glommed on to these other rookies, but not him. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure why, why that is or where the bias is. Uh, there as well. But uh, I mean, I, I just want, we, t we talked at the beginning about Elijah Moore Bateman. I want to work in these rookies. I want to have exposure to it. The league is changing the kind of narrative that these guys, rookies take a year to get up to speed. And maybe they take six, seven, eight games to get up to speed, but there's a lot of room for opportunity. These guys are highly drafted, very athletic. And if things click perfectly with the right quarterback in the right uh, kind of runway to get a lot of targets, then, then sky's the limit. All right, that'll do it, Pete. Tell everyone where they can follow your nonstop streams of content. Yep, that's right. I'm uh, pretty much always over at my YouTube channel. You can just search Peter Overzet. You'll find that. 
going to be gearing up here. We're going to do a, a show soon uh, with my buddy, Justin uh, Freeman, who you, of course, know from Run the Sims, getting very excited for DFS season. We actually have uh, our first game tonight, the Hall of Fame game. So I've been enjoying messing around with the Run the Sims tools. And man, I am getting giddy thinking about using them for our week one NFL slate here. Yeah, it's going to be awesome once everything is full go. The slates are loaded and then everyone can go check it out. RunTheSims.com right now. The free account will get you projections and a lot of the season long stuff along with the advanced stats. Uh, but if you do want to get it on the premium product, RunTheSims.com slash Mayo is where you can go for a discount on that right now. Remember to smash the like button to the episode, sub to the channel, and that will do it for me. Thank you all for watching. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.